Welcome to From the Booth, a podcast where we talk about the films playing at International Cinema at Brigham Young University. I'm Marc Olivier, co-director of International Cinema, and I'm joined today by Professor Bob Hudson of BYU's French and Italian Department. Dr. Hudson teaches French and Italian cinema annually and is a frequent contributor to the International Cinema Lecture Series. So if you're here on campus, come see those. They're every Wednesday at 5. Today we'll, uh, we'll be talking about the 2002 film The Sun by the Belgian brothers Jean-Pierre and Luc Dardenne. Bob, I know that you're a fan of the Dardenne brothers, and I believe you usually include some of their work in your French and Italian cinema class. So welcome um, today, and thanks for coming to talk with us about it. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Could you maybe, for those who aren't familiar with the Dardenne brothers, give kind of a brief overview of uh, about them, their, their work, maybe their style? Yeah, um, the Dardenne brothers, uh, you mentioned their names, Jean-Pierre and Luc. Um, they're born in the early 50s, and I only mention their names because, um, you know, if you look at the French New Wave, where there's, you know, 40 under the age of 40 that are making a, a splash, well, these guys didn't come into their own until their mid to late 40s. Mm. So um, they were in their 40s when they really um, rose to international acclaim with The Promise in 1996. But they, um, just to give a little more background on them, they are from Serrain-sur-Meuse. Um, it's a suburb of Liège in the Wallonia part of Belgium, so the southern French-speaking part of Belgium. Um, they're two brothers that, that work together and work together really well. When you see interviews with them, they um, complete each other's sentences often. They, they rarely ever uh, I mean, they just they have a lot of, you know, disputes and arguments, but that rarely ever gets in the way of their artistic vision. Um, Jean-Pierre studied applied arts and Luke studied literature. And you can see how both of those kind of find their way into um, uh, the filmmaking of the Dardenne brothers, which is a really stripped down uh, way yeah. of filmmaking. Now, OK, did they start out doing they've done a ton of documentaries, right? They did. Yeah, they did a lot um, of documentaries. Is that how they started? They did, yeah. From 78 to roughly 1992, they made a number of documentaries. Um, then they made some short films and um, feature films that don't really at all look like what they're, what I call their mature filmography, hmm. which happened in 1996 with The Promise. So if you were to describe a Dardenne Brothers film, are there characteristics that you would say carry throughout their, or at least their mature filmography? Absolutely. So you get... Um, Every film starts in Medias Race, and they're all about 90 to 100 minutes. And that's mm. what you get. You get um, the, the film starts, you know, in the middle of a story, and it'll end usually without resolution. And mm -hmm. you'll get 90 minutes. It's very, very uh, Spartan. Um, uh, you know, the, the credits at the beginning will either just be a black screen with white or red mm -hmm. on the screen. Um, no non-diegetic sound until 2011 with The Kid with the Bike, Le Gamma Ovelo, um, where they introduced just a few bars of Beethoven. Um, mm. um, so so it, it's, uh, it's almost documentary style filmmaking, handheld camera um, without Steadicam a lot of times. They prefer... Um, this sort of um, mobile framing that you mm -hmm. might see with someone like Paul Thomas Anderson or someone like that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, I, those are a few things. Uh, a lot of times natural lighting on locations, uh, on location set, um, tight framing. Um, they tend to have, I mean, I, I remember when, um, when they, um, when Marion Cotillard uh, was in two, wait, 
how many days I get the uh, two, two days, one night. Yeah. Yeah. And um, there was a lot of press about how she stripped out her Parisian accent and, you know, became Belgian and, and the kind of naturalistic performance. And, you know, I mean, I think this is common to all of their work, but um, but maybe it's because you had somebody who is a bigger star internationally that people were making a bigger deal of it. But don't I mean, he does have actors that he uses again and again. Right. They do. In fact, the uh, star they, of today's yeah. film, The Sun, is uh, Olivier Gourmet, mm-hmm. who had played the father in The Promise. Mm-hmm. Um, in Rosetta, he's the uh, the waffle shop um, entrepreneur that, that mm-hmm. hires Rosetta and her boyfriend, um, who's played by Fabrizio Rongione, who's in a lot of their films also. Um, but yeah, they, they, they have these actors. And in fact, all their actors were non-professional actors at first that were so successful in their films that they became professional actors afterwards. Hmm. And they would only get people from Sirens-sur-Mas, not even from Liège, but from that suburb. And then they broadened it out a little bit to we, we could do all of Liège. And actually, the film they made before, um, Two Days, One Night, with Marion Cotillard, who's from Orléans, I believe. Yeah. They starred um, Cécile de France, who, despite her name, actually isn't from is France. It, is in Belgium. <laughs> she's from Belgium. Yeah, she's, she's Belgian, Belgian from France. Brussels. Yeah. So she's not from Liège. So she and, had to adapt. Yeah, she had to adapt. And people didn't think they were she was going to be able to do it. But they uh, they proved everyone wrong because uh, that's one of the Darden brothers' best films is Kid with the Bike. And I she love that steals one. The show, mm-hmm. Steals the show. Yeah, already. it's beautiful. Um, yeah, the, um, the authenticity that you have uh, <laughs> of the people. I, I was thinking when I was rewatching it how um, it doesn't – it ever feel like somebody's trying to have their Oscar worthy moment. You know, there's no, you, you have themes that are, I mean, maybe tell what are, what are some of the types of themes that you have in, in their work? Cause they're pretty, they're still pretty heavy hitting emotional themes, but there's never like a acting kind of moment where somebody's really playing it up. Right. It's pretty yeah. understated. It's super understated to the point that you kind of feel like you might be watching a, a documentary. A lot of times it's, I always like to see the making of that they do with the Criterion Collection films or mm-hmm. even, you know, um, stills of their sets to say, oh, yeah, they actually did create a set here. This isn't just filming real life because it has that feel. Yeah, and it's it really understated in the acting um, to to uh, return to your question yeah. um, um, about the. Oh yeah, about like just kind of the themes. Like oh, yeah, when you themes, think yeah. of think of like l'enfant, for example, right? It's a pretty big, big theme. It's very heavy. Yeah, they're they're, they're heavy themes, and you do get. And I think it's great for what we're doing this week in international cinema because this idea of redemption mm-hmm. and forgiveness, and and both of those play up so well. Redemption is a big theme throughout their films. Yeah, so, I feel like yeah. you know, right? This I should mention. Yeah, this does kick off this theme. So we've got. For six weeks now, one of the films each week is on this theme of redemption and forgiveness. And I, I think we're going to have to give some spoilers here, you know, um, to, to really talk about the movie a little bit at least. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, what maybe set up what the uh, what the potential redemption or I feel like you're you're having fear for violence pretty much the entire yeah movie what what um you you get this i would say but half hour into the film you understand what's happening here it's we're, we're dealing with a carpenter right yeah. who's taking on um well like an apprentice 
right? Mm -hmm. um, maybe set set up a little bit what uh, what that relation is. Yeah, so he's he's a carpenter in sort of a, a joinery school at a um, vocational technical type school for students that aren't going to finish their high school diploma for any reason. You know, they might have served time. They might have mm -hmm. been in a reform school. Their mom, as we as we learn from one character, might be in drug rehab herself. So um, you have this carpenter that takes on these young boys and basically teaches them a trade. Yeah. And so it starts off where he sees or he, he, he receives word about this one young boy that um, wants to get into woodworking and he rejects him because he has too many at the time. And then he has this change of mind mm -hmm. that you discover, as you said, about a half an hour in um, his ex-wife comes to visit or he actually goes and visits his ex-wife. Um, and uh, she. Um, um, they, they get into conversation. She reveals that she's pregnant, that she's moved on and married, but it seems like they have somewhat of a friendly relationship. And yeah. he admits that this young boy came looking for a job and it's actually, and I'll give a spoiler. Yeah. Here. I think we need a I spoiler we alert. To, but it's okay. We, we it's, it's, it's not, it. we're not, we won't spoil the end of the movie. We'll yeah. spoil the 30 minute yeah. reveal, which is it's discovered that the boy that came looking for a position was actually the boy that had killed their son. And, um, and this is five a, years before. Right. And this is a young kid. I mean, I, I believe that this was um, inspired by not it's not based on, but inspired by um, something that he'd read in the mm -hmm. paper about a murder in the UK, maybe. Yeah. Eleven year old kids that killed somebody um, that were just involved in some kind of petty theft. And there was a witness and they just, you know, acted, retaliated um, spur of the moment and end up killing another kid. So these are extremely high stakes and and yet it's a very quiet movie at the same yeah. time. You have um well I, I want to talk about the camera work a little bit and get your take on this. I'm really curious. So Olivier, the the um the guy who's training these mm -hmm. apprentices, who's lost his son and who now you know by that point that he knows that he's training this kid who murdered his son. But the kid doesn't know at this point, and we won't go into all of that. But um, the camera sort of follows him around quietly. And the amount of time we spend staring at the back of this guy's yeah. head is astounding. What Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, it, it gives a really almost a point of view without being a real point of view. It's like an over the shoulder point of view. Almost every shot in the film is sort of a medium close up. Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes it turns into a close up or even an extreme close up because this mobile framing of the camera and Olivier running. He does a lot of running for a yeah. still quiet movie. He, yeah. he runs to chase down his his uh, ex-wife to tell her to ask her a couple questions or he runs to uh, save a situation. So he is this, he has all this frenetic energy. He's doing mm -hmm. sit ups and push ups a lot. Yeah. But he, he like looks quiet. like he's collapsed on the ground <laughs> yeah. and he'll just do six crunches. <laughs> yeah. It was yeah. so quiet, but you, you spend a lot of time in this medium close up over, uh, uh, over, over his shoulder, sort of seeing his view of the world. And in fact, uh, you're, you're a horror film specialist. So yeah. I, I think if, if they did allow diegetic music into this, uh -huh. this could almost be a horror film because you know, there is that potential. There's saws everywhere. There's there's equipments. There's ladders. Mm -hmm. There are uh, places where you know it's his brother's. Um, he takes him out to his brother's uh, sawmill where there's no witnesses. He could very easily fake a mistake. And there's a totally. potential for violence at the it, the entire time. So it almost has a horror film. If the Darden brother have a horror film, it's this one because you do get this over the shoulder point of view of a man that has every reason to want to kill 
someone else is sort of a revenge killing and you have to sort of follow and is this violence going to manifest itself in the movie yeah i remember the first time i watched it i just kept thinking "Uh oh is it going to happen now is it going to erupt now when is and so you do have this feeling of menace but i almost also think that maybe because there's not the, the a score there to tell us how to feel that it's almost like it's haunted by his dead son. I almost feel like this hovering presence of, of you know, that that he's always being watched, not just by us, but kind of this 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 hovering. I don't know. Is that crazy? <laughs> no, I don't think it's crazy at all. In fact, I think that's part of it. That he also it's 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 this feeling that's mitigated. Uh, by the fact that he's always around this young boy that's about the age his son would mm -hmm. be. So like he almost sees his son in this kid, even though he's the kid that took his son from him. Um, there's this uh, really strange scene that I really like in the film where he picks the lock and sneaks into this apprentice's apartment. And you uh -huh. see just sort of how it's like a studio that's, that's, tiny, you know, just big enough for, um, there's, there's a stove that obviously has never been used. It's just mm -hmm. clean as can be. There's a bottle of milk and a glass and then some sleeping pills. So you kind of get this idea that this kid is also struggling on his end. Yeah. Um, that, that, you know, this, this kid made a huge mistake and he makes it clear that, you know, um, it's something he's served time for. He's come, he's come out of a five year stint in juvenile detention and, and is trying to make his life straight. So you, you do have this sort of haunting and also doubling yeah, and almost a foil sense of the son that was taken from him in this new boy. Yeah, that's true. I mean, the wife, you know, his ex-wife, like mm -hmm. you said, she's moved on. She's pregnant. She's she's remarried, I guess, right? And and um, he, she doesn't understand why in the world he would want this this kid to be in his life at all. And yet, it also seems like, well, this is strangely enough the uh, connection with his dead son. I mean, even though it's a connection through the murderer of his son, it's still a, a tie in some way. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's very, you know, they're obviously really interested in the realism of everything. I hear that they're picky right down to the brand of overalls that they're wearing, mm -hmm. that they're very like attentive to, to every type of detail. Um, they seem to be managing the color palette pretty strongly, oh, absolutely, yeah. right? Very, very muted. Um, nothing's beautiful or glamorous in any of this, I would say. I don't know. What, what do you think? Absolutely. Um, they, they have a muted palette. I mean, Wallonia, you've spent a lot of time there. Yeah. You served a mission mm -hmm. there. So, um, you know, it is kind of a muted, drab, mm -hmm. brownish. Yep kind of place but the, the color red does show up uh in interesting ways in a couple movies in kid with the bike um in the uh sweatshirt that the one uh main character a serial of wears but also you get a color red especially once you get into the lumber yard and i'm wondering if they're kind of trying to hint hint at that there's lots of boards that just have red paint on them or there's red tools in the background yeah. is there a hint of blood and trying to just kind of build up that violence but yeah they, they are meticulous in their set design again if you're able to watch any of the criterion collection extras on any of their movies that are, are in criterion you just see to what degree they are involved in the creation of their sets. You know, this, this yeah. idea of John Luke being an applied arts person, he is very, very much in creating a set design that looks like what they want. Yeah. And you know, then when like the, when red pops out, it really pops out it when uh, in comparison to that, and you know, you mentioned the lumber yard. I, I I'm thinking 
I don't know the Darden brothers, what their religious beliefs are, but there's clearly some, you know, uh, religious themes happening. And the, in particular, I was struck by this scene when they're alone in a lumber yard and they're each carrying two long pieces of wood, yeah. right? Doesn't this feel like we've each have our cross to bear? kind of moment that there's these two pieces of wood that each of them are carrying on their shoulders and you see it almost like this this pilgrimage and then at one point they're they're carrying the same together mm-hmm. from both ends and I'm just like this and I you know like what what do you think about that is there is there a lot of religious um you know symbolism going on or is that reading too much into No it? there definitely is uh, both the Darden brothers were um raised going to parochial school and mm. they, they they received religious education they see themselves as sort of a religious now but there are these Kierkegaardian and you know vestiges of religion um, the themes uh, going out through, throughout their movies. Um, rather than carrying your own cross, I would almost read this instead of, you know, what that is a, what well, something that is a type for that right. um, from the Old Testament. It's almost like an Abraham and Isaac moment. Oh, I love that. You know, that. this idea of taking them out in the wilderness, you're they're carrying the wood that's going to be. Much better interpretation. The, no, no, I think it's, but it's, it is. It's, but you know, yeah. you don't get Christ if you don't get Abraham and Isaac. Abraham yes, and Isaac first, you're right, right? It's all tied together. It's all tied together, but he's taking him there with the wood. You're going to carry the wood and it's going to be his own sacrifice. And there's almost this ritualistic preparation when you see him like sharpening the tools and getting ready for this trip. Like mm. he's going out there to kill this kid to yeah. sort of, to sort of redeem his son. And, um, can't give any spoilers, but you can see how like an Abraham and Isaac might play itself out yep. in the way the movie concludes. As well. Yeah. Oh yeah. I love that. That it, absolutely. Um, you know, and of course the fact that it's a carp that he's a carpenter yeah, just, yeah. you know, sets up the whole thing with the religious, uh, I don't even know if it's overtones. It's, it seems, um, you know, important, at least it would evoke that I would say in a Christian audience in a, you know, a country like Belgium, predominantly Catholic or, um, yeah. Um, so I'm curious, uh, if people want to explore more Darden films, do you have any like go to any recommendations that you would have that they should, um, check out after, hopefully after they see this and are wowed? Yeah, so to the three that are probably easiest to get your hands on um, in the United States are the three that are released by Criterion Collection. So The Promise, which was their breakthrough film, mm-hmm. Masterpiece, also stars Olivier Gourmet as, as a deadbeat father and slumlord, or even abusive father and slumlord. Mm-hmm. Then Rosetta, which was the next one that actually was so effective as a film, it led to a change in legislation in Belgium for um, child labor. Um, and then also the film that we've mentioned a couple of times, The Kid with the Bike. Um, the Kid with the Bike from 2011 mm-hmm. is the one that has Cécile de France. I love that um, one. Masterpiece. I say one of my favorites that, that doesn't get enough um, attention is the one that they won the European Union's Lux Prize for, and that was Lorna Silence. I think um. New Yorker New Yorker Films has... Um, has, has a release of that. You can get it in Region 1 DVD, and it's a really beautiful film about... Um, a woman who comes to Belgium wanting to be involved in a um, sort of a con job so that she mm-hmm. can get her boyfriend there. So, um, and she has to keep her silence. That's where Lorna's silence mm-hmm. comes from. So those are a few to look at. Um, um, yeah. yeah, it's, uh, they're, they're so good. I think the kid with a bike is a really good entry point movie, maybe mm-hmm. because it feels in some ways more conventional or something. I, I don't know. I feel, um, 
maybe the tone of it feels more accessible. Um, Two Days, One Night. I've taught that film before. I love that film. Um, sometimes students don't always get the repetitive nature. I mean, this is basically a woman going and asking if people will give up their bonus so that she can keep her job. And the whole thing is just going door to door, talking to these different people. And yeah. Um, uh, but it feels... It, it, there's something deeply humanistic about all of this that just yeah. makes you that just makes you attached to people and working class people that aren't looked down on. There, it's not like this is some kind of naturalistic study about the seedy underbelly of society mm-hmm. or something. There's there's this deep um, kind of respect for everyday you know citizens of this area of Belgium. That's, that's what Olivia Gourmet embodies so well is almost that like every man. And even though he's always a flawed character, um, you get to see his range as he acts across all the movies. In fact, I don't think they made a movie that he doesn't appear in at least as a cameo. Um, but um, he, he embodies this guy that that is flawed. And if you saw him on paper, you wouldn't like him. But seeing him in the film, it really humanizes him and mm-hmm. makes you understand kind of where he's coming from. And even the kid that is the, 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 the yeah. you know, the murderer in this film, you see him as a person and you see where yeah. he's coming from and you see like what might've led to that situation. And it's hard to judge him as harshly after you watch the movie. Yeah. Um, I, I'm amazed by how much they accomplish with so little. I think it is the, um, well, and I don't even want to say it's so little. It's that kind of thing where you have somebody who's maybe a more amateurish actor and they put more into it because they think they have to, you know, in a, in a really obvious you know, way. Mm-hmm. And what you have here are these performances that are so subtle and let, and yet the whole time you're in his head, you're there wondering what's he thinking, what's he going to do. You can see him processing things. You can see, um, the boy just trying just a little detail, like mentioning his sleep medication. Like you pointed out, he sees it when he goes into the part. And then there's this part in the car where he mentions that he's taking sleep meds. Just that little detail tells you this is a kid who is haunted by his demons. He mm-hmm. is not, um, he isn't a callous, hardened criminal. He's someone who made a horrible mistake at a really young age and is trying to cope with it. Yeah. Well, um, yeah. So I want to sort of end with a few questions uh, okay. for um, three questions. One, Darden brothers or Cohen brothers? Oh boy, those very, very different uh, film filmmakers. In fact, I thought about um, you know how how many successful brother pairings have they been? You have the invention mm-hmm. with the Lumiere brothers, the invention of cinema yep. with them, and then I thought of the Cohen brothers, yep. and then the Dardens, and there are a few others. You could say the Scott brothers, but they rarely work together. Yep. But um, you have those those groups of brothers. Um, I prefer the Darden brothers. I, I think I'm, I'm, I'm very um, francophilic in saying that. Uh-huh. And I'm going to, I'm going to, but I, I'm I mean, actually surprised. I thought I was giving you a particularly cruel choice. It, it is a cruel here. choice because I still love the Cohen brothers, but I think I will still go with the Dardens. Yeah. Um, they, and we're not alone in being fans of the Dardens. We should mention that they, uh-huh. they have won the Palme d'Or, you know, like, and, uh, 
at least two times. Well, in, in the since they since they broke through in 1996 with the promise, uh-huh. they have they, they are more decorated in 25 years than anyone else in the history of the Cannes Film Festival. Oh wow! So every I mean wow. I've I've heard people jokingly say they just sneeze on celluloid and they get the pomodoro, <laughs> but um, I mean it's not quite that. They have no. some films that I mean their flop is just getting you know sort of the jury selection as opposed to the pomodoro, but yeah. Um, yeah, they they are they they've got a lot of fans worldwide and, and justifiably so. Okay, director you would most like to have dinner with? Ooh, that's a tough one. I would like to have dinner with the Darden brothers, but actually, um, going on this theme of like uh, of losing children, about the same time, uh-huh. Nani Moretti, the Italian filmmaker, made The Sun's Room, which is pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. You have the film The Sun in Belgium. And then you have the son's room, La Stanza del Figlio, that comes out about the same time, like a year earlier mm-hmm. in Italy. And it's about this family responding to their son's death. So anyway, that's a long answer to say that. I love that one. Nani Moretti would be my number one choice if I could have dinner with any living filmmaker. That's a brilliant choice. Um, I was going to ask you who would win best, Astor, best actor at the Oscars, Brendan Fraser or Brendan Fraser, but I'm, I'm kidding. I But I do want to ask, um, is there somebody that you particularly are hoping will win an award this year or that deserves it? whether they're actually nominated for something or not any performance that you've seen during the last year that has stood out to you. I'll say that just because what happened yesterday with the white Lotus winning at the screen screen actor guild award for ensemble mm-hmm. cast, I thought that was a really deserved award and I was thrilled about that But for this year's Oscars. Um, I don't. I know that everybody's yeah. all about everything everywhere all at once. That's mm-hmm. like a big one. And then they've got, uh, uh, the kid who was uh, made his debut in the Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom right. film, who uh, then was in Goonies, I think, and then became uh, kind of had a period of non career, followed by now uh, uh, suddenly, you know, having a claim in that film is a bit. But I'm thinking um, Brendan Fraser for The Whale is. I guess, you know, I'm going down on the record so I can be wrong, um, you know. But... It seems like a lock. Yeah. Um, I haven't seen the movie yet, so I can't really. So, okay, last question then. Is there a film festival, um, a film, sorry, awards that you, out of like Cannes, the Oscars, the Golden Globes, the César Awards, is there is there one that you care about, that you follow, like more than the others? Yeah, the Biennale in, in, in Venice is one that I think you, you get uh, usually the films that, that do well there. When I watch them, it seems mm-hmm. that they did well for a purpose, that it wasn't over politicized or there wasn't so much backroom you know, marketing, campaigns. marketing and, 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 and bribery and um, pay to play uh, kind of stuff that you get with the Motion Picture Association of America or even in Cannes where. You know, you, you get that a lot of times where, you know, not the, the public isn't even invited to Cannes, you right. know, um, right. I think you get you get more of a, a fair shake even in Sundance than you do in a lot of these yeah. other places. Yeah. So, no, I, I think Venice does a good job. Berlin does a pretty good job, even though I'm not a huge fan of the Berlin Film Festival. Um, Venice would be yeah. the winner for me. All right. Awesome. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak today about the Darden Brothers and the Sun. Um, and, uh, I really, um, you know, admire your expertise. And, uh, if you are ever on campus, uh, I 
we are neck and neck with co-director, um, with our current co-director, Doug, where um, Bob's going to overtake him if Doug doesn't <laughs> keep it up. So, yeah. Um, well, thank you for joining us today on From the Booth. This podcast is produced by the International Cinema Program at BYU and supported by the BYU College of Humanities. We are solely responsible for the opinions and ideas expressed here as they do not represent any official position adopted by the university or its supporting institutions. We thank our sound engineer, Hayden Underwood, and Johnny Stallings, who composed our podcast soundtrack. Visit ic.byu edu for upcoming films and showtimes and until next time keep seeing great international movies